What's going on, guys? So in this episode of the podcast, I'm going to go over a mock draft that I did early this morning and um, just kind of guide you through what I was thinking with each pick and why it's an interesting one because I ended up going running back, running back, running back, running back. As I've told you guys many times before this offseason, I am very interested, if possible, in taking at least two, but preferably three straight running backs to start off my fantasy draft this year. Um, in this particular case, I did that. I took three straight and then I got to the fourth round and I was looking at Jonathan Taylor, the Colts running back, rookie running back. And I just didn't see anything at the wide receiver position that made me, um, feel like the value was there. I mean, I think that, uh, I can't remember exactly who was there, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I looked at it and, the, this is what I mean when I say you have to be adaptable. So I, I looked at just what was available at receiver, what was available at running back, and the value to me was still in favor of the running back. So let's see how this panned out, and I'll tell you basically with each pick what I was thinking. So round one, I'm picking in the eight spot. So I take Joe Mixon because he's available, and I think that's a steal. He's my RB5. So I'm very happy getting a guy like Joe Mixon at that spot. And let me just touch on Joe Mixon real quick. I think Joe Mixon, um, he's my RB5 because, well, number one, he's one of the most talented running backs in football. He didn't have an offensive line at all last year, and we saw him absolutely dominate down the stretch over the final seven or eight games of last season. And that's nothing new. We've seen that from Mixon before. He, he suffered in 2018. He suffered a... um was not a serious injury, but he missed like the last two or three games of the season. And up to that point in the season, he was the second leading rusher in the NFL. So for those first like 12 or 13 games or whatever it was, he was the second leading rusher in the NFL. So that's just the kind of guy Joe Mixon is. He doesn't need much around him. He doesn't, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. He can catch. He's a great blocker. He has home run ability. And that's rare from a guy that's 230 pounds or so. So I'm really high on Joe Mixon. I think that Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach and offensive play caller, will be looking to take some pressure off Joe Burrow. I think uh, that that all these answers point to Joe Mixon, and there's really no competition for in that backfield for touches. Like Giovanni Bernard's a good scat back, a good you know nice player and everything, but um, he's not a guy that's going to take touches necessarily out of Joe Mixon's hands. So Joe Mixon to me is a home run at the 108, which is what I got him at here. Um, okay, and my next pick was the fifth pick in the second round, and I went with Kenyon Drake. So, I mean, like, if you ask me if I'm going to take a guy, Kenyon Drake, who I have as my RB7, um, in the second round, like, yeah, if, you, if I told you you could get the seventh best running back, the guy is going to finish his RB7 in round two, I mean, you to me, you'd be a fool not to take him there. So, um, I'll worry about my receivers in the third round, right? So then third round comes and I see Leonard Fournette there. And that's almost a rule of mine now. If Leonard Fournette is available, you take him. Unless if, you, if you're feeling a little uneasy about that and you want to take, let's say I took DJ Moore there because that I'm not 100% sure if that was an option in this draft, but I believe you know what? I think DJ Moore and Odell Beckham Jr. were both there. So my thought process was I'll take Fournette here and I'll, you know, more than likely be able to grab, hopefully 
one or the other, DJ Moore or Odell Beckham Jr. in the fourth round. So then fourth round comes, Odell and DJ Moore are both gone. So instead of panicking, which is what most people would do in this situation, I took a fourth running back, and that was Jonathan Taylor, as I said earlier. So in my opinion, guys, I think that I handled that exactly right. So I took four straight running backs, and let me get into who my receivers are now. So my wide receiver 11 in this year's fantasy draft, I just released my final rankings on a previous podcast and also on my Instagram post today. If you haven't seen them, check them out. Um, But uh, Keenan Allen is my wide receiver 11. So when I look at Keenan Allen there and with the eighth pick in the fifth round and Keenan Allen's available, I'm happy to get a guy that I literally view. This is a 12-team league. So I view Keenan Allen as a wide receiver one. So I got... A low-end wide receiver one with, a, with, in my opinion, a very high floor. And I got him with the eighth pick in the fifth round. So I'm very much happy with that value there. And I know it's, it seems kind of weird to be able to – or to be drafting your very first receiver in the, in the mid-fifth round, almost late fifth round at the 5'8". But, uh, yeah, I'm really happy taking Keenan Allen there. And I think my wide receiver position overall was pretty good because here's how what happened next. I took in the, at the six five. I took Devonte Parker. This guy was the wide receiver two, if I remember correctly, over the final like seven or eight games of last season. He averaged like almost nineteen yards per catch. So Devonte Parker is going to have game flow working for him. He's going to um, he's going to to me. It's just the perfect situation because he is their definite number one. And I know people like to make the argument of Preston Williams. We saw Preston Williams play seven games. We never saw him play like Devontae Parker played after he got hurt. So granted, Parker played that way after Preston Williams got hurt. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Dolphins were just so, so, so bad over the first half of the season. But they actually got pretty competent over the final half. They were five and four over their final nine games. So um, especially when they stopped the whole Josh Rosen experiment and they went with Fitz and uh yeah, I mean, so they got some continuity along their offensive line, and Devontae Parker ended up balling, playing really well. Not a high-volume guy, but a guy that's going to catch touchdowns. I mean, that's just his makeup, the what the way he is. He's a he's like 6'3", 6'4", 220-pound guy, great speed, former first-round pick, and he's under contract for a four-year, $40 million deal that was given to him by Flores in the, the new regime. So Devontae Parker in the sixth round, to me, is could be a gigantic steal. And then that didn't stop me there. I went back in the seventh round at the seven, eight, and I took Tyler Boyd. And he's a guy that a lot of people are like, you know, what about T Higgins and, and AJ Green coming back? What does that mean for Tyler Boyd? And in my opinion, that does nothing but help Tyler Boyd because for starters, I think Auden Tate will be the, the guy on the other side in terms of the boundary receivers. I think it'll be AJ Green, Auden Tate on the other side. And then I think Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, the, He's been extended to a to a pretty hefty contract. He's in the Bengals' plans. If anybody's not in the Bengals' plans, it's definitely not Tyler Boyd. Like he's he's his role is solidified as that slot receiver, that Cooper Cup receiver in this uh, Rams style offense in the McVay offense. And um, Tyler Boyd will be on the field at all times. I don't think I think Tyler Boyd will lead the Bengals in snap percentage from wide receivers. I think we'll see some John Ross. We'll see some Auden Tate. We'll see A.J. Green for sure. And we'll see some T. Higgins as well. But um, I definitely think that if of anybody's role, 
Tyler Boyd is the most secure there in Cincinnati at the wide receiver position. So me getting him as my third receiver um, in a uh, in the seventh round, like pretty much late seventh round, was totally fine with me. And then, all right, who did I get in the eighth round? I took another receiver. And this guy is Darius Slayton, man. I think um, Darius Slayton at the uh, 8-5 spot is a perfectly fine value there. I think Slayton... Just like I said about Devontae Parker, I think this could be one of the steals of the draft as well because Darius Slayton could be a high-end wide receiver too. And I got him in the eighth round, so I was more than happy to do that. And then in the ninth round, I addressed the tight end position. I took Hayden Hurst from the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I think uh, Austin Hooper left about 90-something targets that need to be filled and Hayden Hurst is a former first round pick that's going to be doing the filling I mean the Falcons traded for him so that shows us their intent which is a very important word that I like to use so whenever you can kind of decipher what the team's intent is it's about how they acquired that player so they traded they actively traded for Hayden Hurst they didn't want to leave they didn't want to leave the tight end position as one that they'll just draft they're like no we're going to trade for Hayden Hurst who's a guy the first round uh, the the Ravens had a first round grade on Hayden Hurst coming out, so clearly other teams probably thought highly of him as well. I mean, the Ravens drafted him before they drafted Lamar Jackson, so just you know that should speak for itself there. And uh, yeah, I think Hayden Hurst is going to see. I think he's a lock for fifty five catches, um, and his ceiling is somewhere around eighty plus catches. So I'm more than happy to get that in the late ninth round. And. In round 10, so I touched on this in my in my episode that I just finished recording about just draft strategy. Um, I took Kenyon Drake in the second round. So Chase Edmonds is a lot more valuable to me than he is to somebody else. So I took Chase Edmonds in the uh, 10th round, fifth overall pick, and I think that that is a fine value because me spending that 10th round pick on a guy that I can't immediately start does something more for me because because it basically serves as insurance for my second round pick. So I'm more than happy with that. I will keep Chase Edmonds on my roster all season long as a handcuff, and I'll be perfectly happy to do so because I want Kenyon Drake to stay on the field. I want Kenyon Drake to start. So as long as he stays healthy, then Edmonds will just be sitting on my bench. But guess what? It'll make me sleep better at night. So I am perfectly fine with that. And a lot of times with handcuffs, guys, we – we draft them, and then week two or week three comes around, and and Kenyon Drake is crushing it, and he looks great, and all this stuff, and we're like, yeah, let's just, you know, now I'm gonna dump my handcuff because I want to pick up some, you know, some whoever that that had one good game, and I want to see if I can get lucky, and you know, all that stuff. When you try to get lucky, a lot of times you end up looking like a fool because when you try and pick up, oh, that guy was targeted six times this week, I'm gonna pick him up. He's a rookie, like. A lot of times, I'm not saying to not trust your instincts and, and, and to act on those instincts, but I'm saying what changed? Three weeks ago, you drafted Chase Edmonds to be your handcuff to Kenyon Drake to solidify the service insurance for your second round pick. And now you cut him because you saw two good games from Drake. You know, I think that's a very, very silly and, and emotional, impulsive way to to uh, make decisions. I think that usually ends in regret. So um, if you draft a guy to be your handcuff, and I mean we've seen Chase Edmonds be able to perform at a high level when he was when he was a spot starter last year before they got Drake uh, against the Giants. He had three touchdowns in a big game. 
So we've seen that they are willing to use him in that way. And we also saw that Edmonds is able to play at that level. So I think that even though that doesn't give us any instant gratification, it is a very important part of our fantasy team. So we need to, when we commit to that type of a, a you know situation where we're like, okay, I'm drafting a handcuff here. You're not, you're not just doing it for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. You're doing it for 16 games, you know, or however long your fantasy season is. But at least that's my opinion of it, unless it's extreme circumstance and you absolutely have to um, go a different direction and get rid of, and he's the only guy you can cut. Like I'm open to it in that, in that event, but that better be like, you know, a must do type of thing. So, all right. So round 11, I went with, and this is just money. I just talked about this in my, in today's other podcast as well. Jalen Rieger in round 11 is just absolute money. Jalen Rieger, you need to draft him and you need to do it somewhere between rounds 10 and 12. So here you see me practicing what I preach. I took him at the 11-8, and I'm more than happy there with taking him there. And I think that you can almost always get him there. If you really want to make sure you get him, which you should, take him in the 10th. But I, I value Chase Edmonds a little bit more, uh, especially considering all these receivers I have. So I, I don't necessarily, quote unquote, need Rieger. But I'll tell you what, I do need him because he has a chance to be a high-end wide receiver too, and I took him at damn near the 12th round. All right, speaking of 12th round, I have to go back up to my starting lineup as I look at my mock draft from my phone here, and I'm, I took my starting quarterback at the 12-5. I took Cam Newton. Um, I was in DM exchange with the guy earlier today who um, re replied to my story the other day when I said that Cam Newton would be the uh, comeback player of the year, and he replied with, Keanu Neal will be the comeback player of the year. And I said, if Keanu Neal comes back and plays lights out, then maybe, but you know they'll give it to the quarterback. So if Cam plays well, and I do think Cam's best football could be ahead of him, I said, don't don't sleep on Cam winning that comeback player of the year. And he said, yeah, but I think Cam's best football was in 2015. And I said, that's not true. Cam's best football was actually in 2018, which is really the last time we actually saw him play healthy. You know, and we saw that for the first uh, like seven or eight games, nine games of that season. The TJ Watt injury to the shoulder really is the thing that was kind of like the last straw to that shoulder situation there in Carolina. But Cam Newton up to that point in the season had his best numbers ever in almost every statistical category. Like completion percentage was like eight or nine per points higher. Um, and he was just North Turner added a different um, element to the game where he encouraged Cam to just get rid of the ball. He didn't make, see a lot of people think that just because Cam's completion percentage was lower at other parts of his career, most of his career, they think that's a direct reflection of his accuracy, which is just not the truth. Cam was in an offense that would have two or three eligible receivers running down the field and it, a very, very power offense with um, not a ton of receiving options. Therefore, there was not a lot of check down options. Backs were coming backs were really pass protecting a lot of the time. So. When Christian McCaffrey came and North Turner's like, man, this is what we have here. And we've got guys like Curtis Samuel. We've got, you know, DJ Moore, guys that are yak guys. It was a completely different uh, personnel grouping from what Cam had had for pretty much his entire career. So that was when the, the schematic shift happened. And that is when um, 
we saw Cam Newton, what he can do when you just kind of spread the field out and allow him to identify the matchup and exploit it and uh, identify both pre and post snap and just allow Cam to really play that Brady style of quarterbacking. And ironically now, Cam Newton is in New England with Josh McDaniels as his offensive coordinator. So do not sleep on Cam Newton dominating this season. And guess what? I just took him in the 12th round. And I think you can too. I think, I mean, if you really want to make sure you get him, take him in the 10th or 11th. But I, I just don't see a real downside there. I think that as long as he stays healthy, the guy's going to play at a very high level. So I was more than happy to take Cam there. And then guess what I did in the 13th? I took Joe Burrow. You know, why not? Like I, I, at this point, like many different things could happen with Cam. If Cam, for some reason, knock on wood, gets hurt, right? Well, now I have Joe Burrow. And if Joe Burrow comes out and he lights it up in week one and two, well, maybe I trade Joe Burrow because maybe if Cam plays well, you know, also. So it's just kind of like it gives me options. And I really like the idea as long as it's late in the draft. I like the idea of taking multiple quarterbacks, as you can see with my 14th round pick, which was also a quarterback. And that was Denver's Drew Locke. Um, I, I have taken Locke in past mock drafts. So I actually was going to take him in the in the um, 13th round. But I'm like, no, nah, I'll take Burrow here this time. Just kind of give it a different example. But then when Locke was there again, I said, you know what? I'm taking him in the 14th round. And, um, you know, then I, I think because like I said, guys, here's the thing. If Cam, Joe Burrow, Andrew Locke all go off and perform like lights out in weeks one, two and three or so. Well, now I've got some, you know, considerable trade bait. And like, let's say a couple of my receivers get hurt. Well, now I can make a very practical trade to, hey, give you the young up and coming guy, like you know, or, or trade you cam, whatever. Trade you one of these quarterbacks for somebody. And uh, a lot of times when you have three high upside quarterbacks and that's what these guys are, it gives you some flexibility. It just at the very least, it gives me some rock roster flexibility. And um, if if uh, Locke comes out and passes for less than 200 yards in each of the first two or three games, I just cut him. No big deal. He was a 14th round pick. And then with my last two picks, I took Paris Campbell and Hunter Renfro. Um, Paris Campbell's a guy that I'm high on. He had 90 catches last year at Ohio State. I made uh, I touched on him in an episode I did the other day on guys that I think could make a big jump from year one to year two. Um, so, yeah, Campbell in that offense from the slot, I just think could be a, a yak monster. And I also think could be a... Um, you know what, guys, I didn't even release that episode yet. So I I wasn't sure if I was going to redo it. But basically, I did an episode where um, I went over some guys that can make a big jump from year one to year two. And Paris Campbell was one of those guys. But um, yeah, just like to elaborate on that, I think that he is a guy that has a very, very high ceiling. And especially with the fact that Philip Rivers can't really throw the ball right now, like more than 20 yards. Um, I think Paris Campbell is a guy that could have a very big 2020 season as long as he can stay healthy which was his issue last year and then Hunter Renfro my final pick um, in case you guys are wondering about a kicker and defense I don't take kickers and defenses typically if I if as long as the league you know allows me to I would much prefer to just load up on receivers running backs quarterbacks whatever and um, I would much prefer to just take just determine who I'm going to cut after the first or second round of games and then just pick up the kicker or defense or both of 
one of these Sunday or Monday night games. So that's kind of my thought process on that. There's no reason to have a kicker and a defense um, on your roster unless you get it, you know, you get whatever you perceive as the best defense and they're available with your last pick. That's fine. Take them. But me personally, I just felt like the value was too good at that spot to get a guy like Hunter Renfro, who I really believe can be a weekly flex play. And I'm getting him in this, what, 16th round or whatever. So to me, I just thought that was too good to pass up. And I would like to watch my guys play for at least one week and then decide who I'm going to cut to pick up my kicker in defense. So that's my thought press on process on that. So, guys, I very much appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Um, we're growing slowly but surely, but it's getting uh, a little bit amped up lately. So I appreciate you guys. You must be sharing the episodes um, if you want to chat about this mock or anything else for your fantasy teams, hit me up in the DMs on Twitter. It's at FairShakeFB and on Instagram at FairShakeFootball. All right, later, guys.